Here we are. I have the amazing Richard Gage in front of me. Thank you, Richard. And no, actually, thank you, Gail, your amazing wife I've had lots of correspondence with. Aww. She is fantastic. Um, Richard, before That's you true. start, yeah, I was, I was saying earlier on, we've both got that in common. We've got great women behind us. Um, so before we start, I've <laughs> got to get something off my chest because I won't get it right. Um, so you were the founder and CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, a massive movement, thousands of engineers and architects looking into what actually happened on 9-11. You've left that organization, and that in itself is an interesting story, which I'd like to touch very quickly. And if anything, I'd like to say, Richard, my level of respect for you has gone even higher, which I didn't think was possible. Hmm. And you're now running a new organization with your amazing wife, Gail, which is called Richard Gage nine mm-hmm. eleven. I always wanted to say Richard and it's... Gail nine eleven, but hey ho, next time. <laughs> right. Let me quickly explain to you why, and to my listeners, why I've asked you to come on. So, I was born in Scotland. I now live in England. But when I was in Scotland doing med school, I had the opportunity to go on elective and spend six weeks in a hospital anywhere in the world, and. Back in, I think it was 1996, I went to Manhattan and I worked in Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. And that was the first time I went out to the States. And it was a long time overdue. I was something like 20, I think at the time, 20. And um, my family's in New York. I've got family in Brooklyn. You know, typical Indian subcontinent, Mm. taxi drivers. I've got family in California. I've got family in Texas. I've got a lot of family in America. And now, I mean, since then, since 1996, I've made multiple trips to the States. But um, in 1996, I spent a good two months in New York, walking up and down those massive blocks. Really, I went up the, tw- the Twin Towers. I knew that area really well. And I love walking. I love exploring the city. And with family there, you know, th- there was a- an affinity to New York that I had, which I just want to explain to you because, you know, here's a Scottish Asian guy. What the hell has he got to interest in New New York? And in 2001, on 9-11, I was in London. I just moved down to London and I was operating. And I was, I remember to this day, I was with a surgeon, Mr. Singh, and we we're operating on someone's foot. And um, the radio came through, you know, oh, airplane has crashed in 9-11. They think it's a small plane. And we were like, Everyone knows where they were at that moment, you know? And we're like, what the hell? We all rushed to the coffee room as soon as the operation was over. It was like crazy scenes and smoke and this. And we all got goosebumps. I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, I was there not so long ago. And then, then what happened was very quickly, it was like passport fan, Muslim terrorist. And I'm like, oh, for Fact's sake, Ahmed Malik, Muslim. Here we go. Oh, my team has let us down. And I was so upset. I was so upset. You know, I went rushing over to the British Army Reserve offices and I signed up. And, and, and they're called the Territory oh. Army. And I became a captain. Captain Malik. <laughs> huh. Because... I had this patriotic sense of duty and queen and country and, you know, and these, not all Muslims are bad. Look, there's good Muslims like me. And, you know, fell for all of that stuff. 
And all, you know, 9-11, bad Muslim terrorists did this. Anyway, about a year later, I'm on camp with a whole bunch of soldiers, sergeant majors. And these are all, you know, tattooed up, mustache, white, English. You know, what I would have thought, patriotic soldiers. And someone said, Captain Malik, why did you join the TA? And I told them the reason. Most of them started laughing. And I was like, what's so funny? And they're like, son, don't you understand? Because one of them was a lot older than me, um, Sergeant Majors. And you know, even though I was a higher rank, it was, you know, it was in- informal. He was like, son, 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 don't you get it? 9-11, it was all a joke. I was like, what? He goes, it's got nothing to do with Muslims. And the army is just a mercenary force for the globalists. We just go around doing their bidding. I'm afraid if you joined for the reasons you did, ain't the right reasons. And then, and then one of them said, look at number seven. And I looked at number seven. And I think that's when I woke up to the BS that I've been facing all my life. Iraq, this and everything. Now, I'm going to stop now. That's the introduction. And now you understand. And that's why building I want you seven. I was just pointing out to everybody. Building seven behind you. Yeah, now, right some here. people might not know about building seven. I'm going to pass the baton over to you, Richard, my friend. Let's talk mm. first about building number seven. <clears throat> why did that sergeant ask me? Tell me. Look at building number seven. Yeah, it's important. This is a building that went down on 9-11 also, in addition to the two Twin Towers. So let's talk about it. I'm going to share my screen real quick because Do it. Uh, this is an extraordinary, uh, Im- important uh, piece. Because uh, we, we don't want you guys to be the last to know about uh, Building 7 uh, right here on the right. Of course, most people know about the Twin Towers, though there's a lot that most people don't know about the Twin Towers. So uh, we're going to talk about each of them uh, real quick. Most Mm. architects and engineers, doctor, don't even know about the third worst structural failure in modern history, which happened, as I mentioned, on 9-11. This building wasn't hit by a plane. It's about a football field in length away from the North Tower. It got hit by some of the debris from the North Tower, in fact, uh, which was ejected laterally out of the towers, both towers. Mm. But as we'll see, um, uh, that damage was not a causative factor in the building's uh, collapse. It stands fine just after the Twin Towers came down, Building 7. But about seven hours later, at 5.20 in the afternoon, Eastern, Time here in the U.S., uh, this happens. First, the East Penthouse comes down in an isolated event, and then, one, two, three, this building drops as fast as a rock falling out of the sky, straight down, uniformly, symmetrically, into its own footprint. Now, this is after witnesses hear explosions 
And it looks to us in the U.S. just like the old hotels when they bring them down in Las Vegas uh, when they're done with them. Mm. Uh, and, and yet this is uh, what the official narrative has to say about this collapse. So they say it's due to fires. Well, what fires? Well, these are the worst fires that we have photographic or video evidence of in this building. And as you can see, they're few, they're small, and they're fairly scattered throughout the building. Mm. Furthermore, they're burned out uh, over an hour and a half by before the building even collapses. You know, we've had much larger, longer lasting and hotter fires in these buildings and not one of them before wow. or since 9-11 has ever come, come wow. down, even in the UK. We've got the Grenfell Tower. You all know about that. Yes. And other towers that have been fully engulfed. Isn't that mm. amazing? Yeah. So not one. So this is a completely unprecedented event. Uh, to, to have any fire, much less a few small scattered fires. So we have a set of features called uh, in, in associated with controlled demolition. And what we do in our extensive presentation is run people through uh, the features. Is there a sudden onset? Well, we saw that there was. Uh, is there a straight down collapse? Well, we saw that there was. Mm. And how do you get a straight down symmetrical collapse in these buildings? Uh, you you have to remove all the core columns instantly followed about a second later by the perimeter columns, because you want the perimeter columns to be pulled in over the core columns. So you get a pile. So what can do that? Does fire have that precision? <laughs> no, certainly no. not those fires or any fires in history. And yeah, the building falls as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. It's proven by physicists and it's admitted by NIST, but they don't acknowledge the implications of that. Uh, so they, they say no evidence for explosives were found. They say, but they, they acknowledge later that they never even looked for evidence of explosives, but we have all kinds of witnesses of explosions again and again and again that NIST completely overlooked, including uh, uh, picked up on the videos, explosions, the late morning of 9-11 in the vicinity of Building 7. So, yeah, a lot of problems with the official story. You can even compare it to a controlled demolition on the right, Building 7 on the left. Is there any similarity? Well, is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives, especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse, has never in history brought down a steel frame fire protected building? Should have been the first hypothesis that they actually used, but no, it was relegated to a set of very frequently asked questions uh, about uh, uh, 10 years later and posted on their website. So uh, the National Fire Protection Association says, hey, you, you got to look for uh, evidence of chemical explosions and incendiaries, large volumes of gas released. And that's exactly what we have. Incredible heat coming from Building 7, uh, racing 35 miles an hour in these expanding pyroclastic-like clouds in uh, cauliflower shapes uh, down in every direction from Building 7. It's like a volcano. And that's a lot more heat than we see. It does. In fact, we're looking for a whole lot more heat as much as that. 
from these uh, clouds. It's not coming from these fires, which were surely, in fact, extinguished by the mechanical action of the collapsing floors yeah. on the way down. No, we're looking for uh, this kind of heat, right? And yeah. guess what? They find it. Uh, surface temperatures of 1,340 degrees Fahrenheit, 712 Celsius. Uh, that's associated with the hottest office fires. But guess what? There's no office fires on the surface of the pile. There's no office fires anywhere, actually, in the building. So what are they measuring uh, anymore? They're measuring something much hotter, deeper down in the pile, uh, like was documented by FEMA in their original uh, Appendix C metallurgical examination in 2002. They document what? Never before seen. A eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese, like we see from this piece of Building 7 steel. This is incredible. Rapid oxidation, sulfidation, liquid iron. You know what that is, Ahmad? That, that is... That is molten. molten iron. Molten, yeah, molten. And sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. So they did this independent metallurgical examination, but this was completely ignored by NIST, even though NIST's John Gross, the co-project leader, Who's NIST? Who's actually NIST? handpicked that. NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Mm. And what they did is a, a complete cover-up because they ignored the words and observations of their chief fire engineer uh, from FEMA, who did the original investigation. Steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures. And yet... Uh, <laughs> We have a problem here. It takes 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe half that, 2,000 degrees Celsius to evaporate steel. Wow. Well, wait, where are those temperatures coming from in a normal office fire, which is what they told brought this building down? So we'll, we can come back to that, but we'll note that we've uh, the University of Alaska spent four years and $300,000 in an effort to find out what really brought Building 7 down or what didn't bring it down. They did a very detailed study. One of the top forensic structural engineers in our country, Professor Leroy Halsey of the University of Alaska in Fairbanks, did a finite element analysis, uh, completely contradicting uh, the <clears throat> NIST uh uh, a report, uh, which said, oh, no, this came down in a progressive collapse. Uh, well, their report uh, violates the laws of physics, but this one shows exactly what the videos show, a straight down uh, symmetrical collapse. So they, they find that fire did not cause the collapse of Building 7. The temperature was not high enough to cause the weakening of the steel framing. The thermal expansion did not result in a loss of support for the beams and girders, and the building didn't experience a progressive collapse, as claimed by NIST. It actually was a global collapse caused by the near simultaneous failure of all of its columns. Richard, well, what can, I... can do that? Can yeah, fires Richard... do that? No, yeah. can, I, can I quickly ask you something? So two, two things that you, you've mentioned, and I, I've heard it, but just clarify the significance of it. One is the freefall element, and one falling within its footprint. What is the relevance of that? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, item, uh, feature number four of controlled demolitions, when you synchronistically set explosives on 
every column, on every floor, you have no more structure to hold up the building. So there's mm. no resistance to a fall, like the bowling ball. So if fire was truly the cause of this building, it wouldn't be able to take out all those columns at once. Mm. Um, it would be a slow, uh, progressive collapse, and there would be some resistance left by the columns that were still in place. Got it. So this is true at the Twin Towers as well, by the way, uh, it, in a near freefall collapse in that situation. And the second question you had, I forgot. The falling within the footprint. Ah, well, uh, if if the building is going to, in a fire, uh, cause some of the columns to collapse, yeah. uh, like NIST says, in the northeast corner, yeah, it'll fall over. Yeah, So okay. not symmetrically straight down, Boom. but if you remove yeah. all those columns at once, it will indeed fall straight down. So we have all the 10 key characteristic features of controlled demolition. Fire doesn't create any one of these features, let alone all 10 of them wow. with additional circumstantial corroborative report and eyewitness evidence that to uh, millions in the 9-11 truth movement uh, is proof of controlled demolition, a body of proof that's convinced now 3,600 architects and engineers to sign on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the collapse of these of these towers and this evidence and these these this petition can be seen on our website richardgage911.org richardgage911.org where you'll also find the effort uh, that we're currently making to produce this film mm. 9/11 crime scene to courtroom an unprecedented film series a couple of dozen episodes taking hard evidence of 9-11 crimes to court. So we're producing this with the lawyers committee for 9-11 inquiry, which is the body of attorneys who are bringing all kinds of evidence, not just the world trade center, but anthrax, the Pentagon and others to court. And so now this evidence, along with the evidence of the twin towers, which we can look at also, if you'd like, uh, we're going to be bringing, uh, that before a special grand jury, we've already submitted 60 exhibits of this evidence to the U.S. attorney in Manhattan. Now we're going straight to a judge uh, to overcome the, the resistance we're experiencing uh, at the U.S. attorney. Richard, um, so and, and can I go back? Give that directly to a grand jury. That's amazing. I love what you're doing with this. And, you know, I really hope my listeners will also support. And afterwards, you know what? Gail's going to give me all the links all the social media links, the website links, how we can support you. We'll put it all on the website. Can I go back to building number seven for a second? Look, let's just assume oh, it bet. was, let's just assume it was a demolition, right? And I think I heard a clip once where someone said, let's pull it. So say, for example, the Twin Towers have come down and you know what? The authorities are like, oh my goodness, building number seven's damaged. Let's let's do a controlled demolition, but let's not tell anybody because it'll freak them out. And and we just say it's a fire. Could that just be the plausible explanation? They quickly just rigged up some explosives and then brought it down, and they just didn't want to make a big hoo ha. Well, you don't bring. Yeah, you don't bring down a building with explosives in an afternoon. It takes months to prepare, plan, right. place these explosives on on every column and, and most of the columns do need to be taken out because again, you have a 40 story 
47-story skyscraper with moment-resisting steel frame uh, components that are rigidly welded to each other so they don't break. Uh, they don't even bend. Uh, yet it reduces to a pile only about um, four stories tall. Uh, so that should have been a 20-story pile, which had begun to fall over if it were to collapse at all, which is unprecedented. And, and this so, building's yeah, massive. Real I problems. Mean, this building is massive. I mean, like, compared to the Twin Towers, it looks small. I, I mean, on its own, it is huge. It's a beast. This isn't some tiny little building. Well, it's the same footprint. Yeah, the same footprint as the Twin Towers. Each floor is an acre in size. And wow. there's 27 of them. Excuse me, 47 of them. So uh, it, it, it is massive. Okay, I forgot could, the second part of your question. Could it could it be a bunch of sneaky and very clever Muslim terrorists over wow. the course of a year sneaking in? You know, with like um, cleaning trolleys and packing in explosives, and it's just the most, you know, the most intricate and most clever terrorist thing you've ever seen in your life. Could they have snuck in and done this? Well, um, let's look at. The building itself, um, it is easily uh, one of the most secure buildings in the world, uh, given that it held the the, inter- the the New York headquarters for covert operations for the CIA. It held the Department of Defense offices. It held the, uh, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which, by the way, was on the floor where the worst fires were, which right. they lost thousands of of uh, files related to hundreds of extremely high-profile cases like Enron and WorldCom, uh, wow. which were still uh, ongoing. Uh, so I I don't think so. But <laughs> even if so, it still requires a real investigation because we've been lied to by NIST, who says this came down by fires. Uh, if it came down by explosives, for which we have dozens, well, half a dozen um, evidence uh, uh, witnesses of which are in our existing uh, documentary, 9-11 Explosive Evidence, Experts Speak Out, which you can see on YouTube and on our website, again, richardgage911.org. So, uh, no, it's it's very unlikely that uh, the, the, uh, the evidence points to an inside operation here. So I think uh, because this... in the case of the Twin Towers, you have the very extremely secure building, right? You yeah. have yeah. after the bombing of '93, particularly what? Yeah, yeah, that was the basement bombing. I remember. Listen, I came to the states, and even then in '96 or whatever, I got pulled out of line at the airport at JFK Airport, and it was like, "What is the purpose of your visit?" You know, Ahmed Malik. You know, have you ever been a member of a terrorist organization? I got asked, and I was thinking to myself. What idiot goes, yes, I am a terrorist. You know, I mean, it's the stupidest thing ever. And then this guy made me wait. And I was like, where am I going? He said, just follow me and, and turn right, turn left. I went, these are directions. You're not telling me where my destination is. Where You've pulled me out of line. Where am I going? He went, further security checks. And I was like, okay. And I went and I waited for like 10, 15 minutes. And then they, this guy called me up and said, come here, come here. And he said, what is the purpose of your visit? I was like, I'm a medical student. I'm spending some time in hospital. And he went, oh, you're a doctor. I went, I'm a student doctor. You went, you can go now. I went, I haven't even given you any evidence to this. I just said that. How do you know it's, I'm saying the real stuff? And then he was, and then he just looked at me and went, do you want to go or not? I went, yeah, I want to go. But like, oh for goodness sake, if you're going to do a security pull up, do it at least properly. God's <laughs> fucking. 
Just anyway. So I and I and I went to 9-11, I went up and it was bloody secure. Yeah, I don't think someone like Ahmed Malik could just sneak in and lay down lots of bombs and whatnot. So listen, the the reason why I think building number seven is relevant is because it doesn't bloody make sense, right? This building wasn't struck by a plane, you can't use that excuse. The fires are pitiful, and even if there was a raging fire, it doesn't bring down this behemoth, this massive monster of a building, into its footprint in FIFA. This was a demolition, a controlled demolition, and like you said, it's been planned. Whoa! Months in, uh, so who did it? Who planned it? What the hell's going on? Why the cover-up? That leads us to lots of questions, and conveniently to the Twin Towers. Oh, yeah. Tell me Indeed. about that, my lots friend. and lots of questions. Go, go, go. And I'm going to continue while I see that you're frozen. Uh, so we, we ask ourselves then, if that evidence is so clear at Building 7, then we have to ask ourselves also, what about the World Trade Center Twin Towers? Yeah. Because it's even more clear when you actually take a moment to look at the evidence. In fact, look at both of these uh, the, the North Tower and the South Tower simultaneously. They're virtually identical sets of destructions. Yeah. They have different uh, plane impacts. They have different damage as a result of the fire uh, to the to the building. They have different uh, 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 sets of broken columns uh, due to the plane impacts. And yet they have virtually identical destruction all the way down. So we have to ask ourselves, is it possible that mm. this could be an explosive controlled demolition? Well, let's ask ourselves, is there with feature number one, is there a sudden onset? Indeed, the building is standing still and then suddenly it's in uniform free fall, near free fall, downward motion, no jolt or hesitation when the, the cold, hard steel is impacted below. Same thing with the South Tower. No jolt, hesitation, when the top part meets the bottom part below the jet plane impacts. Uh, okay, so our suspicions are up. Now we have to ask ourselves, uh, are there patterned explosions and flashes of light? Well, mm. somebody read 12,000 pages of testimony submitted by the commissioner uh, of the fire, the fire commissioner, Thomas Von Essen, uh, a month after 9-11. But finally, the court was ordered to release this information. And indeed, they did. Uh, the information was <clears throat> uh released and we new york times published it and we find that there's now 156 first responders on record talking about explosions seeing explosions hearing explosions uh being blown around the building by explosions let's look at a couple of them we felt the ground shake you could see the towers sway and then it just came down. All of a sudden, the ground just started shaking. It felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up and the tower is collapsing. Mm. Wow. Again and again, you're going to hear this specific order of events. The phenomena of explosions and then the tower collapsing shook mm. my bones shortly before the first tower came down. I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise. And then debris just started flying everywhere. Mm. An explosion appeared at the very top simultaneously from all four sides. Material shot out horizontally. And then 
there seemed to be a momentary delay before you could see the beginning of the collapse. Take a look. See, see what they're talking about. North Tower on the right, a, serious, a known controlled demolition on the left. Is there any similarity in the first four seconds of this building's collapse anyway? Because it changes later on. Is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives? Especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse, has never in history brought down a steel frame, fire-protected skyscraper ever. So what about the South Tower on the right? Is there mm. any identity, uh, uh, similarity to the known controlled demolition on the left? Enough similarity to warrant an investigation again into the possible use of explosives? <laughs> so, yeah, no, this, this, this makes no sense, uh, the official investigation. I mean, listen to these firefighters. The yeah, they weren't picked up wow. by NIST. Not one of these 156 first responders were included in the official Ooh. NIST report. Again, National Institute of Standards and Technology was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. NIST says, Shit. oh, no, the top part drove the rest of the building down to the ground. And then it destroyed itself. Well, that can't happen. It violates Newton's uh, third law of motion, which says there's an equal and opposite destruction of force when two bodies collide. Yeah. So that's what's going to happen. And in fact, that's what is happening. Watch the bottom. Oops. Watch the bottom line in this video. It doesn't go down. The, the green line is going down. So yeah. the building is the top of the building is telescoping in on itself. It's being destroyed internally before it's ever crushing anything below it. So we've been lied to. In fact, if the top part was there crushing anything below it, it would have uh, it would be seen <laughs> riding the rest of the building or driving the rest of the building down to the ground. It's not. None of the photos, none of the videos show any such thing. If it were there, it would have crushed these few remaining core columns that remain standing six seconds after the rest of the building was gone. So, no, there's a completely different kind of explosive mechanism uh, going on around these still standing columns. And it's pulverized. So feature number three. Do we have a straight down symmetrical collapse? Pretty much. Watch. Just like the firefighters described, all around the building, boom, boom, all boom, four boom, sides, boom. like a belt going all the way around the building, symmetrically, top to bottom. Mm. What is this? Well, let's find out. Let's zoom in. Look at the individual explosions in this leading corner oh, of yeah. this destruction. I see a dozen right here in this looping video. Yeah. And then some squibs or isolated, a squib, an isolated explosive ejection well below those. So you got to ask yourself, what are we really looking at here? Yeah. In fact, do we have more of those squibs that we can look at? Take a look. Not only 20 stories down below the uh, destruction, 40 stories down below what we're told is a progressive collapse, but 60 stories down below, we have these explosions going off, uh, completely unacknowledged uh, by NIST. In the South Tower, we have simultaneous 
isolated explosive ejections, a dozen of them going off at once on the yeah. left side of this looped video of I the South it. Tower, destroying its internal uh, structural frame. So it doesn't continue its momentum to the right and fall off the building. It can't. It, the structure has been essentially liquefied. How fast is the building coming down? Again, this is very important. As Ahmad has said, we've got a, 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 a an acceleration. It's not getting slower and slower. Let's time it on the left and watch it on the right. There's four seconds. You can see how fast these explosions are going off on the right. But you can time them on the left in a dozen seconds. The, the entire building is destroyed from top to bottom. Wow. Well, how fast is that happening? It's happening uh, in 12 seconds, but it's accelerating. It's getting faster and faster, these explosions, as you go down the building. Very precisely timed explosions. It's falling almost as fast as freefall. This is uh, two-thirds the speed of freefall. It's not getting slower and slower as it meets incredible resistance down below. Mm. The resistance provided by a hundred thousand tons well eighty thousand tons of steel below in the north tower below the point of jet plane impacts there's more steel on the facade of these buildings than glass and it's not even slowing it down in the internal we have 47 massive core columns around the core around the elevators not even slowing down at all well, feature number six, do we have the total shattering of the structural steel frame? The NFPA Guide 921, again, for fire and explosion investigation, says look for shrapnel effects, high-order damage, characterized by shattering the structure, producing small pulverized debris with the building components completely demolished and thrown great distances. And that's exactly what we have. The entire building has been shattered down to its original structural components, uh, and save these shard, remaining shards of perimeter structure at, at the, at the uh, outside uh, and the end. It's completely demolished. Wow. And ready for loading and shipment, uh, save some cutting, which was necessary by the uh, first, by the uh, iron workers. Do we have the lateral ejection uh, of these? A very unusual feature of controlled demolition. Usually they try not to do this. But the NFBA 921 again says, look for blast pressure wave effects. Heavy structural steel pieces freely flying, embedding themselves into the World Financial Center 500 feet away. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, in the Winter Garden 600 feet away. In fact, skyscrapers all around uh, the the towers uh, have these components embedded in them you can see that they're freely flying it's not like a yeah. banana peeling these are uh, ejected <clears throat> these pieces here 350 feet away and this one is hitting world trade center seven uh, about to wait a minute back to forward to back to forward to that's 45 degrees how does gravity work down what's happening here out <laughs> with enough force to hurl a 300 pound cannonball two miles 200 count pound cannonball three miles actually wow say three kilometers so 
That's incredible. Uh, and there's thousands of these. And why is it trailing thick white smoke clouds? We'll come back to that. But if 100,000 tons of steel framing is distributed outside the footprint of the building, then we have to ask ourselves, what's crushing the building? This is a half the weight of the building is this incredible uh, steel structure. Maybe it's the concrete. Let's look and see. Because there were 110 floors of concrete, each mm. of them an acre in size, as I mentioned. Mm. Four and eight inches thick. Where are they? They're not stacked up on the bottom on the left, like we see in a real gravitational collapse on the right in Mexico due to an earthquake. That's mm. what we would expect to see, 110 of those. Yeah, pancake. We don't see 50. We don't see 10. We don't see one acre-sized floor, not even badly mangled. It's missing. Where did it go? Oh, All that dust. 90,000 tons of concrete is pulverized to a fine powder in midair. Yeah. And distributed throughout lower Manhattan in a blanket three inches thick. 100 micron particles average like baby powder. Wow. All the streets. That's where all the concrete is. Well, if the concrete is distributed from river to river across lower Manhattan, we have to ask ourselves, what's crushing the building? It wasn't the steel. It was also distributed outside. It's not the concrete. There's nothing left to crush the building let alone a block, like NIST says, uh, remaining at the top, crushing the rest of the building down. It's not available to crush the building. So this is an incredible body of evidence once you start looking at it. But surely they preserved the remaining structural steel uh, so that forensic investigators could get their hands on it and analyze it. Let's listen to one of them who had a National Science Foundation grant to study the steel a little bit study. too late. He says all the evidence of the steel went to the melting pot, to China, for recycling. It's true. Within two weeks after 9-11, the steel was carted away by 400 truckloads a day, carting this to the landfill and put in these barges sent to China for recycling. This is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene. Editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine cries out, crucial evidence that could answer many questions is on the <clears throat> slow boat to China, showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately. But it didn't. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the source of all of that heat? Well, we see from the material dripping out of the crab claw excavators, molten iron or steel uh, has a, a color and the color is associated with a temperature. That's the physics of molten iron and steel mm. and any molten material. We can tell that its temperature is exceeding 2,500 degrees. That's 1371 Celsius. Office fires and jet fuel do not achieve these temperatures. 
Jet fuel burns at uh, maybe 300 degrees Celsius, according to its manufacturer, ME, ME Petroleum. Uh, mm. It's just essentially kerosene. It doesn't burn any hotter than desks or chairs. Uh, so these fires are not exhibiting any kind of temperatures like that. They're cooler and indicated by the thick black smoke, right? So, and they're diminished at the time of the collapse. So this is not the cause of the collapse of these fires. And yet we have molten steel beams uh, seen by the, by the witnesses, metal dripping from a beam by this firefighter. We have a, a little river of steel flowing, says who? The World Trade Center structural engineer himself, who was let down into the pile to see it, doesn't realize that fires can't, normal office fires or jet fuel can't create this. This, In fact, it melted concrete. I didn't even know concrete could melt. Concrete melts above about 1600 degrees Celsius. Well, where are those temperatures coming from? It's wrapping itself around this handgun in the police museum. Fire temperatures so intense that concrete melted like lava around everything in its path. Well, let's try to figure this out. Could thermite have produced all that molten material? Well, thermite is a, a very special incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. Dr. Stephen Jones, nuclear physicist, does some analysis. He says, gosh, if thermite were used, it'd produce a characteristic burn pattern, a white, yellow, hot liquid metal, like we see pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse, and like we see dripping from the material held in the claws of the crab claw excavator. Oh, so we had some technical issues. Um you could not see me or hear me. I could hear you clearly. I was waving. All the people who are watching this can see. I was waving saying, I'm here. <laughs> but uh, we had some weird technical glitch. So I'm sorry. But um, I know you've got another interview uh, in, in a short while. So we've got some precious moments. Um, and I want to rejoin. Um, the problem is, you know, if it's like the truth is, if it's if it's just like a lecture, people kind of switch off and it's nice having a conversation and a to and fro. And I appreciate I had disappeared. So you, you did the best you could. You were doing a great job. Um, and, I, and I should also say I'm a bit of a newbie. I should have warned people who are listening. Maybe this is a podcast that's probably best watched because Richard has put up some amazing slides, pictures I've never seen before and really talked us through a wonderful story of the truth. And I think that's why we're all here, to be honest, to get to the bottom of the truth. But anyway, Richard, where we had left yeah, off yeah. was the molten lava. You know, we've all seen the molten lava. I've seen the molten lava. And I was like, what the hell? How can this tin can of a plane with a little bit of jet fuel cause this volcano, this eruption, <clears throat> this pulverization, dust and molten lava? Right. Take over, my friend. Yes, thank you. But uh, now I need to know how much uh, your wonderful audience got to see, uh, because I need to, so I need to know where to start. You mentioned molten lava. Uh, had I gone through the explosive evidence of the Twin Towers yet or not? Yes. Because I had yes. gone. You've gone through the whole okay, so you're explosive gonna... and the, and the extra lateral projections. And then you've got the chart with the temperatures, with the yellow, red and, and, and the burning. And yeah, yeah. Ah. We're, we're, and images of, you know, yeah, molten lava. Well, this is, this is great news. I'm going to, I'm going to pick up there then. <clears throat> so let's uh, share. And 
Last time we shared, we maybe that's this. why I went frozen. So if you don't hear me, um, what I might do is just stop and re- restart, stop and restart. Hopefully that won't happen. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, th- this is the uh, evidence, uh, uh, lots, pieces. This is a piece of the evidence for uh, liquid m- molten metal falling out uh, of, of the crab claw excavators. Uh, but th- we have... Curiously, uh, these, uh, let's go right here. North Tower, South Tower. I can see that. I can see the slides. The problem is that, yeah, good. The problem is that uh, we have um, uh, no way of the official narrative explaining these extreme temperatures. Um, We we have, uh, uh, for instance, the, the, these thick white smoke clouds trailing these uh, structural steel elements. Well, fire is not flammable, Ahmad. Uh, excuse me, uh, fire is flammable. Uh, the, the steel is not flammable. Yeah. So uh, ha- not, not in office fire conditions, which is the official narrative. Well, what can cause this? Uh, it's the same thing. Like you d- mentioned earlier it's a volcanic eruption in the tongan sea molten trailed by thick white smoke clouds well that's what we see i didn't so i didn't, it's, I didn't it's know you had a incredible. volcano in, in Man- manhattan i didn't know you had a volcano in manhattan yeah well that's we had two of them uh, by the way richard 911 richard call me ahmed it's not ahmad ahmed ahmed yeah ahmed. Ah, ahmed. Well, i mean I, I can call you richard richard if you want <laughs> i want to get it right <laughs> Amid. Yeah. Uh, so you remember this thick, this blanket of powder. Well, what else was found in it? The U.S. Geological Survey hands to us on a silver platter the evidence of thermite incendiaries. What am I talking about? In 2005, they did their particle atlas uh, report, and they found billions of previously molten iron microspheres. I mean, let's break this down. This is an incredible uh, finding. Uh, how do they get previously molten? Uh, how did they form themselves into spheres? Mm. And why was it iron, elemental iron, not steel? These aren't mm. little balls of steel. This is elemental iron. Completely uh, so deconstituted. Fig- no, that's that, that, that's um, what we're talking about is. The ingredients of thermite is elemental iron. Ah. Thermite is iron oxide plus aluminum powder. And together, in mixed finely, uh, you have uh, you, you have the incendiary thermite, again, used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. It takes a lot of temperature to get it going. We'll take a look at it at an experiment. But 6% of the dust samples, up to four tons of this material, is molten, previously molten iron microspheres. Four tons. So many that um, the R.J. Lee group analyzes them, too. They're an environmental consulting firm, and they're formed during the event, not before, by the iron workers. Not afterwards by the iron workers cutting the buildings apart but during the event uh this is a worldwide environmental engineering consulting firm the epa says these things which we don't know what where they came from these molten iron microspheres mm. uh, they they they're, they're 
a signature component of the World Trade Center dust. Unless, in other words, it's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these previously molten iron microspheres. Wow. Well, what happens when you do in a thermite experiment? A small, it looks like sparks, right? Thousands of them. Yeah. But they are molten iron droplets and they cool and they fall in the dust and they get hard and they're, they're, they're round uh, because that's what aerosolized liquids do. They form yeah. themselves into, by surface tension, into spheres. So that could that be what explains the toasting of the tops of these cars, Amit? Uh, yeah. it's, it's incredible. No other rational explanation for this in the official narrative, right? Yeah. This is uh, 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 the only possible uh, uh, narr narrative uh, or, or, or explanation for this. Well, if that was evidence, and it is, uh, for ignited thermite, would there be any evidence also in the dust for unignited thermite? Because a team of international scientists led by Niels Harrett in Copenhagen analyzed seven altogether samples of this dust. And they find these, what they thought were paint chips in all of them. Makes sense, right? There's paint, mm. lots of paint. And, and it looks like primer paint, but um, they're about a 16th of an inch long, uh, the largest of them. Mm. And uh, But the problem is they're attracted by a magnet. So they have a high iron content. So what do they do? They get real curious. They zoom in and uh, they do XAEDS analysis, X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy, and they find what? The ingredients of thermite in the paint. What's that doing there? Aluminum and iron should not be there. They get real curious now, zoom in to the red layer 50,000 times and find nanoparticles of iron oxide crystals and aluminum platelets. What's the nanotechnology doing in the World Trade Center dust samples? Uh, and it's in a matrix of oxygen, silica, carbon. This is organic material it's responsible in TNT for expanding rapidly and knocking things over the way explosives work. But thermite is an incendiary, which burns by means of massive heat. They're very different. Well, this was analyzed previous to 9-11 by Lawrence Livermore lab and developed, they called it super thermite. And at about 420 degrees Celsius, they ignite in a heater, a differential scanning cal calorimeter. And what happens, do you suppose, to the samples collected by the eight international scientists? They also ignite at 420 Celsius, producing what? Molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found and documented in all the World Trade Center dust samples by the USGS and R.J. Lee. So you see, we know exactly where these four tons or so of molten iron microspheres found in all the World Trade Center dust came from. They came from these red-gray chips. There's no question, because they're found actually attached to many of the red gray chips as you see here and here. So this is an incendiary that's been engineered to become much more explosive, very advanced stuff, not made in a cave in Afghanistan. It's made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. And this study 
by this team of scientists uh, is published in a 24-page peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. They found unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology, a highly energetic pyrotechnic or explosive. They didn't even know what to call it because it has attributes of both. So how could that stuff have been brought into the World Trade Center? Maybe during the fireproofing upgrade that occurred in the years, a couple of years before 9-11. Wow. Uh, oh. In the, uh, in the, just see the pl- airplanes where they impact? Yeah. They're associated with these floors that have been upgraded and, and not the floors below the impact. Very, very interesting. It needs more study, of course, but we have many of the key features of controlled demolition and a lot of features of uh, uncharacteristic of controlled demolition, but nevertheless explaining what really happened to these buildings. This is direct evidence of destruction with explosives and incendiaries. So this thermite can be accounted for. Was it painted onto the walls? Like how, how do they get the thermite to to work? Like It, it was applied somehow so that it could not only pulverize the concrete, but the uh, damage the steel enough to cause a near free fall collapse. That's all we know. The rest is speculation. And it's a good speculation, probably not the walls, but columns and uh, the undersides of the floors in all likelihood against the metal pan supporting the concrete floors. But all of that is uh, proof uh, that we've seen an overview of just a, a, a wee overview uh, today. Proof that, again, has caused 3,600 architects and engineers to demand a new investigation. Proof that we're including in the film series a, a dozen, two dozen episodes uh, that people can help co-produce. And all of this evidence is outlined on this um, in our website, richardgage911.org. And these brochures, of course, can be printed uh, and distributed. Uh, so that that's uh, what I wanted uh, to to get across uh, there today, Ahmed. Um, so let's go into it. I'm sure you've yeah, got some I've got questions. I've got lots of questions. I've got lots of questions. So um, maybe turn off the share for a second. Yeah. Um, right. Wow, that was an amazing presentation, dude. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you. No, seriously, it was. I mean, look, just one one question before I ask lots of lots of other questions. I've heard people say that direct energy weapons were used. Could that be a possibility? It's certainly a possibility. Um, it doesn't explain the evidence that we just highlighted. It doesn't explain the explosions because uh, the proponents of that theory say there were no explosions. It doesn't explain the thermite and the nanothermite uh, because they, su- they say that there was no thermite and nanothermite. It doesn't explain uh, the massive heat uh, because this they say this was a cool event. So uh, it doesn't explain what they call the dustification of the steel because the analysis of the steel includes, uh, by many different sources, uh, includes no steel dust. It includes elemental iron microspheres, which is explainable by thermite. Um, so... Could it be a While bit of everything? The proponents of that theory. Hmm? Yeah, what I'm saying was, could it be a bit of everything? Could it be a mini nuke? Could it be controlled demolition? <clears throat> could it be thermite? Could it be a bit of everything? Well, I've heard people say that even a mini nuke might have gone a, off. Yeah, let's take them one at a time. Um, we, we just talked about directed energy weapon. 
that that while it may or may not have been used, <clears throat> it's almost irrelevant because the evidence, the forensic evidence that we have is irrefutable and overwhelming for thermite mm. and nanothermite. Um, uh, could it have been uh, a nuclear weapon, a mini nuke? Well, what we saw in these series of explosions was uh, hundreds and in close up dozens of individual explosions uh, going off. Uh, well, a, a, a mini nuke uh, would, would not cause easily identifiable mini explosions going off floor by floor, as we saw, or 20, 40, even 60 stories down below the uh, zone of destruction. Uh, a mini nuke would provide a, a flash much brighter, uh, 100 times brighter, actually, than the sun. And a, a, a blast, uh, a single blast uh, that would be heard throughout, uh, well past the, 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 uh, the, the perimeter of New York City and probably the state. Mm. Uh, it would leave massive radiation mm. that we uh, don't have. Uh, there's slightly elevated background levels of, of this and that, but not nearly enough to be considered uh, uh, caused by I, I get that. a so, mini nuke. I get that. So, Richard, a lot of people, right, listening to this evidence, I mean, I, I didn't even know most of this evidence, but to me it was glaringly obvious that a plane didn't bring down um, these twin towers and number seven. Um, once I looked into it a little bit, once I scratched the surface and ignore what the government was telling me in the official narrative. But many people, despite all this wonderful data, hard data, I mean, it was a scientific presentation. I mean, you're, it was really hardcore data. This isn't just some guy in a basement, you know, some hobbyist presenting some information. This is, these are hard, objective facts. But despite this, many people will turn mm -hmm. around and go, oh, but... What are you suggesting? You're suggesting this was a conspiracy? Are you saying that so many people were in it? Someone would have said something. That's one of the most common things. But I would, I turn around to people and say, have you heard of the Manhattan Project? Do you know 120,000 people around several countries were involved in developing the nuclear bomb and they kept it hush? So people can do things. Even from the vice president of the United States. Well, there you go. There you go. So there is precedent of things being done on a massive scale with a humongous number of people behind it and it being kept secret. So that actually isn't a good reason. And I think one of the reasons, you know, some people well, might turn It also around, doesn't address the, the body of evidence that is massive. I mean, we were only able to highlight, you know, uh, what, uh, 45 minutes of evidence or whatever. Uh, we've got uh, four hours more of detailed evidence and eyewitness testimony that we didn't have time to share with you. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it, it, if you just simply say they couldn't have gotten away with it, uh, somebody would have talked um, the media would have covered it. Of course, that doesn't address the the capture of the media by Project Mockingbird, a CIA operation to control the media, which is already controlled uh, 95% of it by just five corporations. Who owns those corporations? Uh, the, the, the leaders, boards of directors from the arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry all of whom profited enormously from 9-11 and secured goals which they've had for a long time, such as the Project for a New American Century, a neocon think tank, which stated their goals, uh, 
uh, a regional hegemony in the Middle East, a vast increase in the military budget prior to the Bush administration coming to power. This is on their website. But they said, absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor, these goals will likely take a long time to achieve. And Bush writes in his diary the morning, well, the, after, the night, evening of 9-11, today we had our new Pearl Harbor. Wow. Wow. And that's that comes to, you know, the issue. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know what? Why would they do this? You know, what what has it got to do? How could they get away with it? I mean, why would they do it? I think it's multiple reasons, just like you've just alluded to. I mean, the reality is many people profited from this. There's some funny shenanigans going on about the sale of um, the Twin Towers and the insurance and who profited from its destruction. I think there's a massive windfall there. I think if you look at what happened... Well, you brought the, it up. Let's take yeah. them one at a time. Uh, okay. Larry Silverstein, uh, the developer of Building 7, uh, was invited to, to bid on the entire project. Well, he wasn't the high bidder, but he got the job anyway. Uh, the entire rest of the World Trade Center buildings. Uh, and he, with only $125 million of his own money, he, which sounds like a lot of money to us, but it was a $3.2 billion bid, which he somehow leveraged. And this all just took place, this sale, two weeks before 9-11. And massive terrorist, in, six weeks, excuse me, uh, massive terrorist insurance uh, was put on the towers such as were never on before. So mm. the coincidence keeps stacking up. And you mentioned uh, him suggesting uh, pull it. Let's just mention that since we're talking about Larry Silverstein. Mm. Regarding Building 7, he was interviewed on PBS Radio in America called America Rebuild, Rebuilds. And he, he, he says, wow. There was such terrible loss of life. Uh, maybe the smartest thing to do is pull it. And so they gave the order to pull, and we watched the building come down. Well, wait a minute. What are you talking about there? Uh, he, he obviously, he's talking about the building and pulling it, a term used in the controlled demolition industry. Demolition. But he says later, oh, I didn't mean pull it. I meant pull the firemen out of the building. Well, guess what? The firemen were prevented ever from going into the building to fight the fire. They 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 were wondering or they're around the building ready to go in uh, because they'd already dealt with as much as they could the twin towers, mm. uh, and this building was just had those fires that we saw burning. So no, they was not talking when he said pull it, uh, talking pull about the pulling fire. the firefighters out of the building. So he's caught with his pants down on that statement. Okay. So I was saying some people might say it's 2023. Who cares what happened 22 years ago? Why is it irrelevant? I, I think it's very relevant. I think the whole world changed in 2001, 9-11, because we, waged, we started this war on terror. We used it as a pretext to attack Afghanistan and then... Iraq. Well, let me address that. It's a $6.5 trillion global war on terror, enormously profitable for the banking industry and the the arms industry and and achieving goals, which the Project for a New American Century wanted, a regional hegemony. We invaded Afghanistan and the Middle East, by the way, 2 million people, excuse me, Afghanistan and Iraq, Mm. and reshaped the Middle East, uh, one of their goals. And, and, And 
uh, two million people were were killed in that process. Um, so, and, and six thousand U.S. soldiers, and three times that many soldiers at least have killed themselves. Uh, it does the the cost is absolutely enormous. Our grandchildren will be paying for these nine eleven wars. So this is, I mean, people need to understand the term false flag. False flag is when you actually attack your own country or your own force forces and attribute it to an enemy and then use that pretext as a justification to wage war. And there is precedent right. of this in the past. There was a Gulf of Tonkin incident, and uh, that's what launched us into the Vietnam War. And I think there's some other ones as well. Yep. And this is clearly oh, a yeah, false the flag. Sinking of the Lusitania. That's it. Uh, Pearl Harbor was even uh, a type of false flag attack where we knew that the Japanese were coming. We had cracked their codes. Yes. But uh, they were allowed to come anyway. Admirals were fired over this. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a huge uh, set. It's a huge set of scandals. And, and of course, the Vietnam War, you mentioned Gulf of Tonkin. But every major war and, and most all minor wars were started by such false flag operations. And this isn't some crazy conspiracy theory. This is unmasking the real conspiracy against humanity and America and the world. And I think it's important for us to visit this and learn from our history. I mean, why do we have Holocaust memorials? At the end of the day, why do we have history lessons? We learn from the past. Our past shapes the current and the future. And unless you understand where we are coming from and why we are where we are today, we will make the same mistakes again and again. We will repeat the same mistakes and we'll let the people who did the evil in the first place to get away with it and repeat it again and again. And, and I think one of the funny, funny yeah. things about the parallel with today and in the last three years and 9-11 is this massive cognitive dissonance. Everyone just believed the narrative. The media pumped out this, you know, Bullshit lie that planes brought it down. The terrorists. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention the pristine passport sitting in the rubble. Everything else was evaporated and vaporized like you've just demonstrated. But for some reason, passports with the yeah. with the so-called terrorists were just sitting there to be found. You know, and yeah, that's but not let's jump back to the parallels. Yeah. <laughs> right. Please. <laughs> Please but do. I mean, there, there are incredible parallels between 9-11 and COVID. Uh, for instance, we have foreknowledge of the events before they occur. People are aware of them because these are planned events. So we mm. have insider trading based on the results in each case in COVID. And uh, with 9-11, we have predictive programming uh, of each of them. It's put out there in Hollywood in particular and uh, other venues uh, where, where, where the, the towers are attacked, for instance, dating all the way 20 years ago uh, and, and increasingly. So even planes running into the towers on uh, the X-Files, for instance, and Condoleezza Rice says, Oh no, we couldn't possibly have imagined a plane running in, but there's, there's, literally dozens of such memes uh, in Hollywood uh, before that, even in the 47 uh, air drills, which also predict 9-11, where planes are hijacked in simulated exercises and running them into buildings in New York. Wow. Uh, there are drills, for instance, the in, in, on 9-11, we have the uh, uh, biochemical attack drill the day before 9-11 where thousands of state 
local and federal forces are in place on Pier 92, ready to go to take over an emergency exercise for a drill. And indeed, uh, that is where the operation was run from uh, on the day of, well, following 9-11. Immediately, everybody ready in place to go. Do you know, the abuse of science. We, huh? Sorry, very, very quickly. Uh, just remember where you are. Do you know in London, we had 7-7 bombings? And on the day of the bombings, they were running a, a, a terrorist exercise. Exactly the yep. same. And there were... Know, there were at least 11 drills on the day of 9-11, confusing the hijackers with false blips on the radars of the north of the NORAD's uh, uh, radar techs. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it, I mean, it's the coincidences are crazy. Anyway, you're going to give me another example. Mm. Well, they both have a, an incredible abuse of science in, in, in mm. the case of 9-11. We, we, just, we just gave you an incredible, overwhelming... Uh, overview of the abuse of science by NIST and by FEMA. Uh, we also, of course, have massive abuse of science with regard to ivermectin and panning, uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, etc. Uh, your, your audience is quite well aware of, of those abuses, but also the creation of a climate of fear. Mm. Where, you know, we don't know when the next terrorist attack is coming. The terror meter goes from yellow to orange to red. How afraid should we be following mm. the days of 9-11, right? Because of the chatter from terrorists yeah. out there. They, they got us wound around their fingers. Same thing with COVID. Uh, exaggerating the COVID deaths uh, through imaginary cases based on false positive results from the PCR tests. It, it, it's all a setup to create fear. Uh, the, 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 the statements about deaths, uh, in, in COVID uh, com completely exaggerated, um, uh, based on, uh, if you had a false, if you had a positive test for COVID and you died of a motorcycle accident or anything else, uh, that's how they got, uh, up to almost a million deaths on paper, uh, due to, due to COVID. 100%. They have a solution that's far worse. Yeah. Than the original problem. The solution in the case of 9-11 was to invade the Middle East, right? Kill 2 million people, mm. right? Um, uh, put uh, in, Enact the Patriot Act where any of us can be arrested without a right to a lawyer, a trial, a jury. Uh, so it's, it's essentially a surveillance state, illegal constitution, unconstitutional uh, collection of our phone calls, our emails, our texts. Uh, it's it's all completely illegal. Well, contact tracing was a big attempt with COVID, uh, and they're not done with that. Of course, they're coming out with COVID two now. This variant that they they're they're preparing for another set of lockdowns. So the solution uh, in the form of uh, the vaccines, uh, genetic uh, uh, experimental genetic therapy, uh, is is killing more people than than COVID ever did. And uh, that's uh, given to us by, of course, the uh, life insurance actuary data, where uh, they have 140% uh, Richard, death 100%. Um, so I've already, increasing. you probably, you don't know this, but I've already interviewed several people. Um, John Boudouin from Massachusetts has shown 90% of the COVID deaths were all fraud. I've interviewed Ed Dowd mm. from Hawaii. Uh, he used to mm -hmm. work in New York and Manhattan and Wall Street. And he's shown that um, the number of deaths has gone up um, in 21 and 22. And it's all, the, you know, the vaccine related. Um, 
And, you know, I've, I've interviewed so many other scientists like you who've broken down the data about COVID and shown it's the biggest scam ever. And the parallels are these things are all based on a massive lie, massive lie, mm. huge, so Whole huge. A series of lies. That the, yeah, a series of multiple massive lies, so huge that the average citizen cannot swallow them and cannot comprehend that anyone would be mm -hmm. capable of such a lie. And I think that's the element of the big lie. Lie so big, it's just you have to believe it. You just think, no, no one could yep. possibly do this. Um, and so those like are nine eleven. Who would attack their own people like that? You know, exactly. Who would attack their own people? And I really hope people listening to and watching your presentation today will have realized that actually nine eleven, the truth, the truth isn't what we were told. What we were told was a lie, and that should make you question. That should make you question. Why did they lie to us? Why did they do this? If they've lied to us about this, what else have they lied to us about in the past? What else are they lying to us today? Yeah. And these people yeah. are not here to look after us or care for us. And they're certainly not patriots. This, there's something else going on that doesn't parallels. Go for it. So just continuing real quick, we, we, we have uh, false accounts by officials in each case, 9-11 and COVID. We have uh, extreme control of the narrative, which shifts over time as the public gives up faith, uh, loses their faith in the official narrative. For instance, was it natural origin in COVID mm. or was it a lab leak? Um, the no real investigation uh, the, the cause of COVID uh, investigation was dropped. Um, we, we have, uh, we've talked about the official narrative and how on, on 9-11 and the investigations were uh, more, uh, more of a cover-up. We have an elusive, powerful enemy. Uh, terrorist cells in the United States could get any of us. We better put duct tape over and, and plastic over our windows because uh, there could be an attack in our own neighborhoods. Uh, of course, the virus is elusive and powerful. You touch an ATM machine button and you could take that home and it could kill grandma. Um, control <laughs> of information uh, by top agencies and NGOs, media censorship, of course, mass censorship in each case, attacks on critical questioning, and then the implementa implementation of draconian policies and surveillance uh, we touched on also. These 12 parallels were originally developed, uh, researched by Kevin Ryan, did an exceptional job, and I'm just going deeper into it in my two-hour talk on that subject, which we can't get into tonight. I know, I know. But I mean, listen, you've covered so much. It's amazing. And I just want people to start asking questions. I think that's how you free your mind. If, if you don't ask questions and if you just blindly follow and believe what you're told, then, then you're lost because 80% of what we're told is a lie. That's the truth. And, and it's an inverted world. So whatever you're being told, it's probably the exact opposite. And I just want to come back to, you know, the mm. reason why you're no longer the, you know, with your original organization is you voice these concerns about COVID and, and yeah. your, your colleagues felt it was causing harm to the original cause of nine 11 and you were, you know, not forced, but yeah. you had to, well, you had to step down and well, maybe you were forced, you were forced to step down. And, <laughs> I and was forced. You were and, forced. And it turned out to be a good thing. 
They're doing, continuing to do what they need to do. I'm doing what I need to do. We're a double-barreled shotgun, really. I'm presenting all over the world. I've done 85 podcasts. We've got an incredible body of evidence on our website that they don't have at AE 911 Truth. And so I'm uh, very excited to continue my mission uh, with greater freedom because I've interviewed Merrill Nass. I've interviewed Dr. Lee Merritt and others uh, and Dr. Brian Artis. Uh, so we've got lots of um, exposure we're doing. Richard, what's driving you to do this? Why are you doing this? Well, I remember early on, 2006, feeling that I had been deceived massively. I was, I was angry. There was something deep in my core that boiled. You can't, you can't pull the wool over my eyes like this, much less most of the world. When I realized how true this evidence was that we talked about today, I, I knew I had to do something. There, there were lawyers for 9-11 Truth. Uh, there was uh, uh, scholars for 9-11 Truth. Where were the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth? Uh, it, was, it was fell on me. I mean, I'd never done a PowerPoint presentation, never spoken public before like that. So uh, I... I I had to learn all that stuff. And for 18 years now, uh, it's been nonstop all over the world, 24 countries, 100 American cities, 700 presentations, 700 radio interviews. It, it just wow. doesn't stop. It's just getting more and more intense as people wake up, too. There's a bigger demand for the truth. 100%. And more and more people are waking up. I feel the exact same as you. I feel like where are all the doctors for COVID truth? Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to form a doctor for COVID truth. Like, seriously, what the hell? Where, where are all my colleagues? Well, you got the frontline doctors. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. Listen, before we freeze again, we've had some technical glitches. I'm really sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. Um, listen, a question I ask everyone on my podcast. You, you've reached the grand old age of 150. You're on your deathbed. Your children, grandchildren, everyone's around you. What words of wisdom and advice, health, otherwise, would you impart on them? Don't be afraid to be yourself and speak the truth, even though you lose half of your friends or more. Would you rather live in obscurity and compliance and bending over uh, to everybody who disagrees with you uh, or stand up tall. And when you stand up tall, God stands in you. And when that happens, you're an unbeatable force. It may take 18 years, may take 20 years, may not happen in our lifetime, but we're doing the right thing. And there's no, there's no substitute uh, for that. Uh, we're we're living on the edge. We're on the wave. We're guided by an unseen hand that's not going to fail us. Well, you've just done something that no one else has managed to do. You just gave me goosebumps. Well done. <laughs> no one's given you goosebumps before. No, huh? like with that answer, with that question. I normally ask that question to everybody. No one's given an answer that's made me have goosebumps. It's made me have goosebumps. Hmm. Richard, you're a good man. Gail's a really good woman. And um, thank you for the yeah. presentation. I'm sorry for the hitchups, you know, hiccups. I don't know what happened. Um, but we got there in the end. I'll, I'll stitch all of these together. It'll be fine in the end. 
You yeah. you really really hey. are a legend, my friend. Thank you. And one day, um, I'd love to have you back, and we can go through a little bit more detail, um, if you don't mind. Sure. So thank you so much, everyone I listening. Um, please listen to Richard's words. Keep an open mind. Visit his website. Support his cause, and help with the truth. And remember, stand tall. God is with you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Mm.